trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I hope this program is a siren call to everybody who acknowledges that uh, the folks in power aren't exactly being straight with us. Nope, they're not telling us the truth. In fact, in many ways, they're doing everything they can to keep us from finding the truth or understanding what's going on so that we can make clear and concise decisions for ourselves. Well, I don't have all the answers, but I am definitely somebody who is very serious about getting after the, the most credible information that I can find and and particularly looking for information that is, is based in principle more so than party. We're going to talk more about that as the show goes on. In fact, uh, the article of the day today actually is a wonderful breakdown of last week's GOP debate in which uh, Jeffrey Tucker makes a very strong case that uh, there was very little substance actually offered to the American people. He calls it the great game of let's pretend. Nonetheless, I'm glad you're here. I hope that uh, I hope you can find you know something to believe in, something to to give you hope, even though things are, um, to put it mildly, a little crazy. They have been for a while now, and they appear to be getting less uh, stabilized as time goes on. That doesn't mean that all is lost. It just means we've got our work cut out for us if we're going to stay anchored in reality, and more importantly, that we're you know going to to focus on making a difference as opposed to just simply we're going to win because our side has to do to their side what their side would do to us before they can do it to us which really seems to summarize how politics works and has worked since the bronze age so let's dive in let's jump right in today there's a pattern out there and i i wonder if you have picked up on this i'm i'm guessing you probably have or you wouldn't even consider listening to a program like this one but here's the pattern Something scary is coming, and the ruling class needs more power over you right now so they can address it. Sound familiar? Got a great article here from Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. From COVID to climate change, vehicles for global authoritarianism. Now, he says, as I've noted in the past, the Western world came within a knife's edge of being completely subjugated and placed under perpetual medical tyranny, by a coalition of government officials, global interests, and corporate partners. He says liberty movement analysts have talked of, have often talked of open conspiracy, but it wasn't until the pandemic response that we truly witnessed the mask coming off and the greater agenda revealed. By the way, just as an aside, someone on Twitter the other day actually started a thread of, can you show me the, the images that are the most clearly demonstrate how outrageous people were willing to be or how far they were willing to go in the name of that COVID madness. And and I hate to admit this, but I had forgotten a lot of this. Maybe I was, you know, maybe I'm repressing on all cylinders. I don't want to remember those memories. No, 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 don't make me think of it. But like the police forcing a mask onto a handcuffed guy's face, you know, this is, I think, in Australia. He was arrested for not wearing a mask. It was just, it was so clear. This was not about health. This was not about safety. 
It was about compliance. And that was some of the more mild stuff. The videos of, you know, cop grabbing a girl in Australia by the throat because she wasn't wearing a mask walking down the street. People screaming at each other in Costco or in in the supermarket. I know, you've probably tried to push those memories aside too. I don't blame you, man. That's, That's some ugly stuff. But it happened. Now, back to Brandon Smith's article. He says, not more than five years ago, the most common retort from skeptics was that such a conspiracy was impossible because it was too elaborate to organize. Well, he says, today, those people look kind of foolish. It's undeniable. There is a cabal of power elites. They're highly organized around the globalist ideology. And they want total centralized control of society. It's an immutable fact supported by endless proof. The debate is over because the COVID response ended it. Now, the list of crimes against civil liberties is long. He says the establishment and political left, with the, handful, with the help of a handful of neocons, tried to implement unprecedented authoritarian measures from business and church shutdowns to forced masking. By the way, studies do show those masks are useless to forced vaccination using experimental mRNA products with no long-term safety testing. In some countries, including New Zealand and Australia, COVID camps were actually built to imprison not just citizens traveling overseas, but non-traveling citizens as well. And legislation to build such camps was pushed in the U.S. Then he gets into some of the really painful stuff here. A large percentage of Democrats in polls supported even more extreme policies. Do you remember this? 55% of Democrats said they wanted fines for unvaxxed Americans. 59% of Democrats wanted the unvaccinated forcefully confined to their homes. 48% of Democrats wanted prison time for anyone who questioned the vaccines. 47% of Democrats were in favor of government tracking the unvaxxed. 29% of Democrats were in favor of taking children away from the unvaxxed. So, Brandon Smith says, if someone tells you there are no sides and the conflict is an illusion created by the false left-right paradigm, he says you can know they're full of manure. There are definitely sides, and the globalists are not our only concern. Although there are always nuances to take into consideration, he says exceptions to the rule don't change the rule. And as many leftists openly admitted during the mandates, their goal was to make life so miserable for the unvaccinated that they would eventually comply in order to survive. In this way, establishment elites and and leftists could claim the people volunteered for the vaccines. No one was forced. What they really meant was no one was forced at gunpoint. But we all knew that that threat was coming next. Now, he says, keep in mind that all of these measures were rationalized in the name of saving lives. But the problem is no lives were saved by the mandates. The official median infection fatality rate of COVID is a mere 0.23%. In other words, all of these constitutional violations were attempted over a virus that 99.8% of people would inevitably catch and easily survive. He says, I continue to suspect that the establishment expected COVID to kill far more people than it did. When lab-created diseases get out into the wild, they change rapidly, usually evolving to be more infectious but less deadly. But his point here is the cabal is not all-powerful, and they're certainly not infallible. They make mistakes often. The COVID agenda relied on multiple disjointed factors that were difficult to predict, and most of them had to work in tandem. Now, one of those factors was the dependency on the political left, that's a group of weaklings, 
to act as useful idiots and mob enforcers. But he says, frankly, leftists just aren't fight frightening enough to inspire compliance. Another factor was the assumption that the response of conservative and independent free thinkers would be limited and therefore easy to control. Finally, most if not all state governments in the U.S. had to enforce the mandates for the duration. Well, he says globalists seem to have greatly underestimated the potential resistance to their agenda, specifically in the U.S., where 50 million-plus armed citizens were ready to go to war over the draconian restrictions. He says, I think the vaccine passports were the key to the scheme. Vax passports would have given the establishment full-spectrum dominance of the economy with people unable to get jobs or purchase necessities without submitting to the mandates. And it was here that many conservatives, independents, and dozens of red states, to his surprise, made their stand, and suddenly, like magic, the COVID hysteria vanished. The media propaganda campaign went, campaign went quiet compared to the previous two years, and the mandates were abandoned in most places around the world. The globalists were not ready to risk a fight against a massive insurgency. Now, Brandon Smith says it's been suggested that the COVID agenda is about to make a comeback with a new hyped-up strain of the virus. If this is the case, he says, then the attempt will hit a wall. With even more Americans aware of the pointlessness of the mandates and the masks, it's unlikely to gain much traction. Of course, as long as the people behind these schemes remain unpunished, though, he says they will be free to try again and again until something sticks. Government agencies and officials like Anthony Fauci remain unpunished for their numerous COVID lies. Joe Biden remains unpunished for his attempts to supplant the Bill of Rights. The mainstream media and big tech companies remain unpunished for their collusion in propaganda and censorship efforts. And he says, let's not gloss over the fact that Donald Trump promoted the fast-tracked mRNA vaccine programs. Although Brandon says, I will admit, as far as I know, he never called for them to be made mandatory or for people to be forced to comply. I'm going to come back to Brandon's article here in just a few moments, but does that not sound like a pretty accurate recounting of what was done and what could potentially be done again if people don't plant their flag right now and say, "Uh uh-uh, I am claiming myself. I am sovereign territory. I know that word scares you. Sovereign? Why are you one of them sovereign citizens? Maybe you need to look up that word and see what it really means. Because when you have the definition, how could you settle for anything less? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back. Just want to continue on with this Brandon Smith article. It is so good. And I want to tip my hat. I'm wearing a hat. There it goes. Tip of the hat to Ruben, my friend, for sending it my way. Um, I so appreciate uh, those of you who who share great articles like this with me because, hey, I'm on the I'm on the lookout. Pretty much uh, any any waking moment of the day, I'm looking for good information to share with you. So when you find something that's good and you think, hey, this this might be worthwhile, feel free to send it my way. Go to my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. There's contact information there. You can send messages through the show notes and so forth. But I really appreciate it. So back to Brandon Smith's article. From COVID to climate change, these are vehicles for global authoritarianism. 
He talks about how Trump placed a lot of technocrats and globalists within his own cabinet who would later go on to help institute authoritarian policies. Now, the question is, how much these people influenced him or lied to him is up for debate. But his current prosecution doesn't negate his role leading up to the lockdowns. If there's an election in 2024 and Trump re-enters the White House, remember that no president is going to save us from this fight. We must save ourselves. By the way, I think, I think Trump could overcome a lot of people's objections if he would just do the mea culpa and say, I was wrong about the lockdowns. I was wrong to fast track the vaccine. I don't know about you. I would, I would tend to be more forgiving for somebody who actually says, okay, I was wrong about that. I won't let it happen again. Not hearing that mm, kind of leaves a bit of uncertainty. Anyway. The goal of the globalists, says Brandon Smith, will be to move swiftly into other crisis events, whether real or fabricated, to bring the population to heal. So here comes today's climate change hysteria. The COVID agenda and the climate change agenda are very, very similar in that they rely on a core fallacy. And the lie is that, well, these events are dictated by human behavior. Thus, human behavior must be controlled in the name of the greater good. Now, the idea goes beyond this, though, into the realm of collectivism for the globalists and leftists to assert that each individual action affects the lives of the rest of the population in a great and unending hive. Therefore, every single person must have their lives micromanaged by the state to prevent some kind of chain reaction that leads to catastrophe for the precious bug colony. That was another claim during the COVID farce. It's also the claim for climate change and carbon restrictions. They fabricated yet another excuse for eliminating personal freedoms. For COVID, it was the air that we breathe out that would supposedly destroy public health. And for climate change, it's once again the air that we breathe out that will supposedly destroy the world. Coincidence? Brandon says, I think not. During the lockdowns, numerous globalists and globalist-connected climate researchers publicly expressed joy at the suggestion that COVID lockdowns could be useful for reducing carbon emissions. The phrase climate lockdown started circulating around major conferences and in various globalist-funded studies. Now, these studies show a precipitous drop in human-based carbon emissions during the lockdowns. But they still don't provide any evidence that man-made emissions actually cause climate change. This remains the underlying con game of the climate narrative. Climate researchers with access to billions in government funds and think tank funds happily operate on the assumption that emissions cause warming when in fact they have zero evidence to support this position. Correlation is not causation. He says this summer the media has been relentlessly pounding the climate agenda drum to the degree that to a degree that mimics the COVID propaganda of a, of a couple of years ago. The nihilistic reports of impending global boiling are built upon a house of cards. Brandon Smith says almost all the climate crisis claims are based on records a little over 100 years old. The Earth's climate history is vast, and there have been numerous warming periods much hotter than today. All of these warming events occurred during periods of ample animal and plant life and without human industry to blame. He says the climate boogeyman is nothing more than another COVID-like fraud. It's a vehicle for grabbing power and erasing our freedoms. In fact, he comes right out and says it. There is no threat. And even if there was, there's nothing human beings could do about it since we have no bearing whatsoever on the course of the Earth's temperature. 
The world's climate has been changing for millions of years. There's no difference between the changes of today versus the changes of the past. Now, the globalists know that to achieve the new world order or the great reset they desire, a large percentage of the population has to be on board. And since most people have a measure of conscience as well as self-interest, their enslavement has to be presented as a positive. They must be made to believe that by embracing slavery, they're saving the planet and the lives of others. Now, none of this is true, of course, but as long as the population believes they're doing good, they can often be manipulated into supporting immense evil. Ooh, that last line really leaves a mark, but it's true. He's absolutely right. By the way, I'm going to segue into another comment here. Um, since I know that climate change is being blamed for the big uh, disaster in Maui, you know, the, the wildfires and the subsequent loss of life. Look, I, I would take with a grain of salt, you know, the talk of direct energy weapons and, you know, only the houses with blue roofs didn't burn and so forth. I know there's some pretty weird anomalies, but I would say be cautious. If there's a great lesson to take from that disaster, it's that you cannot just blindly obey the authorities during a disaster. In fact, I'm including in today's show notes a commentary from Daisy Luther, the organic prepper, in which she breaks down some of the horrifying coincidences surrounding the devastating tragedy on Maui. But she says, the one thing I can't get out of my head is the fact that in this case, many of the decisions made by authorities were not in the best interest of the people trying to survive the fires. Her point is this, you can't just blindly obey the authorities during a disaster if you want to live. She says the one thing that particularly stood out to her, the thing that could affect any of us in a wide variety of emergencies on a one-to-one level, is that there were barricades meant to prohibit people from evacuating on certain roads from the fires. And like I reported last week on this show, the people who bypassed the barricades survived. Many of the ones who turned around have not yet been found and, and presumably have perished. So there's a fine line between blind obedience and reasonable cooperation. Daisy Luther does a marvelous job of of exploring what that line is. I'll tell you this, you are, she, and she points this out here, you are your own first responder. She says, I wouldn't go so far as to say never trust emergency workers, but she says the only person you can really trust to have the wholehearted best interests of your family in an emergency is you. That's why you have to be prepared by understanding the emergencies your area is prone to experiencing. You need to know your area. You need to trust your gut. Amen. Yes. Look, in many cases, the local authorities really do want to help people. They want to save lives. They may have further information that you don't. And in most situations, maybe following their instructions would be the best course of action, but not in all of them. And if something in your instincts is saying this is wrong, you need to listen to that. If there's time, ask questions to see if you're missing information. If there's not time to get more information, you may just have to move past your social conditioning to follow the instructions of of authorities, and you will have to do what you have to do to save your family. Because the great object lesson here is the people who were willing to disobey were the people who lived to tell the tale. I've had this conversation with my kids. I mean, I don't worry a lot about a school shooter coming to their school and, you know, wreaking havoc. But I have instilled in my, my two kids who are still in school, a moving target is much harder to hit 
than a stationary one. Meaning, don't just go hunker in a corner, you know, don't run, hide, you know, don't do the hide thing and just uh, don't, don't shoot me. I tell them, you get out. If it's possible, you get out and you get away. And, you know, they, I, I know the official plan at the school is, well, everybody should go to this room or should go here. This is where you're supposed to meet. My kids will not get in trouble if they don't go to that exact place. The main thing is get away from where the gunfire is coming from. And remember, a moving target's harder to hit than a stationary one. What an awful talk to have to have with your kids. But it's also kind of a necessary one. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out to my sponsors who make this program possible. They include MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, TMCPNation.com, also ClimbingUpward.com and QuiltAndSew.com. I've got links to each one of them in the show notes. By the way, something coming up, I'm just going to tease this for now, but uh, if you take your privacy seriously, I don't know if you're like me and you've, you've, had, uh, you've spoken about something and then suddenly, oh, look at all these ads popping up on my social media feeds. Yeah, something or someone is listening. And, and our privacy is it's under attack from a lot of different angles. Well, I am going to be inviting my listeners to attend a, a very important privacy action plan webinar. It's coming up in September. I believe September 13th is when we've got this, uh, this planned. I'll, I'll keep you posted on this, but... This is, this is some really legit good stuff if you take your privacy seriously, and I hope you do. I don't think it's ever been more important. Anyway, let's talk for a moment about uh, how, with all the political back and forth taking place, it's really important that we don't get too mired in the partisan aspects. In fact, John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education has a great question that, that should be asked. How do you hold political actors, in other words, the government, to account. It's not a new question. People have been pondering this for millennia, but who will guard the guards themselves? Widespread allegations of government corruption highlight an age-old problem. So he starts with a story of Police Lieutenant Jessica Taylor, who recently announced she was leaving the Seattle Police Department after more than two decades on the force, but she had no intention of going quietly. In a 15-page tirade she released on the Jason Rance show, the 23-year veteran blasted Seattle's mayor and city council and appeared to accuse the police chief of corruption. Her letter accuses the Seattle Police Department of being a breeding ground of lies, deceit, favoritism, and rampant corruption that under the police chief's leadership has resulted in waste and ineptitude and an escalation of crime. Violent crime was up 20% in Seattle in 2021, according to Newsweek. Now, he includes a link to Ms. Taylor's letter, You can read it yourself to determine if the claims against the chief hold merit. But the alleged presence of corruption in Seattle's political system and police department should hardly surprise us. John says government and corruption go hand in hand, and an age-old saying can help us understand why. Quiz custodiat ipsos custodis, who will guard the guards themselves. Now, the question of how to hold political actors to account is one that thinkers have pondered for millennia. You can find it in the Bible in both the Old and New Testament, as well as in Roman and Greek philosophy. 
The Polish-American economist Leonid Hurwicz uh, wrestled with the idea in his 2007 Nobel Prize acceptance speech and correctly noted the question is properly traced to the Roman author Juvenal, not Plato. Plato, speaking through Glaucon, naively tells us it would be absurd that a guardian should need a guard. Well, Juvenal disagreed, noting that guards also shouldn't be trusted. And history has proven him right. An overlooked part of American history is the long history of government corruption, which increased as state power expanded. Now, a prominent early example at the federal level was the widespread corruption witnessed in the Grant presidency. Though President Ulysses Grant himself was an honest person, the government had grown so big in the aftermath of the Civil War that President Grant couldn't stem the flood of corruption in his administration, which included the infamous Whiskey Ring scandal. That corruption, however, was child's play compared to Tammany Hall in the late 19th and 20th century, where honest graft, a term coined by New York City political boss George Washington Plunkett, wasn't just commonplace, it was openly celebrated and defended. Municipal and state house corruption went beyond Tammany Hall, of course, and became so widespread and blatant in the early 20th century in America that a vast political movement arose to root it out. In his 1904 book, The Shame of the Cities, the progressive muckraking journalist Lincoln Steffens exposed a shocking level of corruption, bribery, patronage, racketeering and extortion, passing out favors to friends, lining their pockets at taxpayer expense, suppressing the vote, cooking the books, putting relatives on the payroll, rigging the contracting process, and lying all the while to a compliant media, in the words of Lawrence Reed. Yet Stephens astonishingly, astonishingly saw the solution to all of this corruption as more government. Now John Miltimore says, I don't doubt Jessica Taylor when she alleges her former department struggles under dysfunction, dysfunction rather, and corruption. Americans have grown increasingly comfortable with big government and the corruption that accompanies it. A recent report from OpenTheBooks.com showed that scientists at the National Institute of Health collected some $325 million from Chinese and Russian entities and pharmaceutical companies between September 2009 and October 2020. As the most recognized official at NIH, Dr. Anthony Fauci was the face of the third-party royalties controversy. But our investigation was about a lot more than any single scientist. That's Open the Books representative Adam Andrzejewski in a statement. The Biden administration, meanwhile, is embroiled in a scandal that allegedly saw the president's son, who has no experience in the energy sector, collecting $83,000 a month to sit on the board of Burisma a Ukrainian energy exploration company that was being investigated for corruption by Ukrainian authorities. Allegedly, with the help of President Joe Biden, who was then vice president of the United States, the Ukrainian prosecutor who was leading the Burisma probe was dismissed. Now, none of this is to say that uh, the Seattle police chief or Dr. Fauci or President Biden are guilty of, of ethical misconduct, but it does raise some important questions about the nature of the state and accountability. The economist Murray Rothbard argued that by its nature, government is an institution of organized aggression that lives parasitically off the productive activities of private citizens. Even if one chooses to reject Rothbard's pessimistic view of government, even if it rings true, it stands to reason that individual actors in the government will use their powers to advance their own private interests. So the question then becomes, what should happen when they're caught doing so? 
Now, most people agree they should be reprimanded or punished for such actions. The problem is, history shows that the Guardians have little interest in punishing themselves. That accurately describes the problem. This makes me think of a a problem a little closer to home where I live in Idaho. Um, As you may know, uh, Ammon Bundy has been... uh, been slapped with, I think it's a $52 million fine, he and uh, Diego Rodriguez. And uh, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot to this story. But uh, Ammon reasoned that, you know, hiring an attorney or a team of attorneys to to fight the flood of filings and legal paperwork that uh, this big law firm, Holland and Hart, on behalf of St. Luke's Healthcare, was burying him under. It's, I mean, this is lawfare. This is the epitome of what lawfare looks like. The process is the punishment. So Ammon decided he would decide not to go to that uh, that civil court case. By not appearing, the judge, by law, is supposed to enter a default judgment, and then they can start assessing, you know, the, the damages. But the judge didn't do that. And she allowed St. Luke's to go in and to, to try to cover their tracks. Look, the, the bottom line is, they took a child, a doctor who works for them, ordered... DCFS, I guess it's actually Idaho Department of Health and Welfare, but Child Protective Services to take a child who did not need to be taken from his parents. That's what started the whole thing. A mistake was made on the part of a large health care provider and a government agency compounded by another government agency, the Meridian Police Department. And when Ammon and Diego spoke up against this, they incurred the wrath of the health care company, which did not like looking like crooks. They did not like the way the light of truth was shining on them. So, long story short, they did have their civil trial. Ammon was a no-show for it. That was, again, by his choice. Interestingly, though, I've got, uh, I have uh, copies of this, five different PDFs showing the jury pool in that St. Luke's uh, civil trial. Would it surprise you to know that every single member of that jury, either themselves or had a spouse who either worked for St. Luke's or St. Alphonsus, which is another health care provider, or the Department of Health and Welfare. Every one of them. How about that? No wonder they were, they were so eager to, to, to more than double what was being asked in terms of damages. Tell me that's not a system that's being abused. Tell me that's, that's not someone abusing power for the sake of... Uh, for the sake of, well, we've got the power, we might as well use it. Look, you don't have to be a supporter of Ammon to see that uh, that's, that's a pretty deliberate stacking of the system. Where this all goes, I don't know. But uh, I, I, sometimes I just have to remind myself, you know, in the final analysis here, there is justice. And there will be justice, and I mean that in the most universal and eternal sense... And the people who feel right now they've got the upper hand, we've got the apparatus of the state on our side, we've got the governor, we've got these various lobbying organizations, and we've got this big team of hired gun lawyers. (laughs) They're not going to be very happy people at the day that those scales are finally balanced. I'm not saying I'm going to stand there and revel in it, but I do have faith that that day will come. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Final segment today. Got a couple of articles I want to share with you. Um, I often recommend resources for wrong thinkers. In fact, I actually have a whole section of my website that is uh, devoted to different sites that I encourage people to go to if you want to get, you know, a, a solid view of what's going on. I'm not saying, no, this is the only ones you should follow. I'm just saying I have found these sources to be very good resources for helping me better understand the world and what's going on. The American Institute for Economic Research is one of those uh, resources. Got a great article here from Art Carden about the three-headed monster giving us lousy public policy. And by the way, he just he identifies why this powerful beast with three heads of ignorance, avarice, and arrogance results in us getting terrible public policy. Now, ignorance being the first one, he says, that's we just don't know what to do. It's a revelation to many economic students that policies like minimum wages, rent controls, laws against price gouging, and tariffs on goods made in foreign countries hurt the people they're intended to help. People don't appreciate how well markets work. They just don't know how poorly communism has fared. And they don't understand just how much better off we are than our ancestors were. He says, we try to correct this with education, but economics is not easy. And for the individual citizen, learning the ins and outs of supply and demand analysis isn't likely to do much to change public policy. Second, he says, we don't know what's being done. And that's because we're either lazy or failing in our civic duty, or isn't rather because we're lazy or failing. It's because public policy generates concentrated benefits, but dispersed costs. So here's an example. Sugar tariffs, for example, are worth many millions to U.S. sugar producers, but they probably don't cost an individual family enough for it to be worthwhile to even measure the burden. But that burden is still there. Next, he talks about avarice. Why live at your own expense when you can live at someone else's? This, incidentally, is precisely how Frederick Bastiat described government, the great fiction through which everybody endeavors to live at the expense of everybody else. Now, his point here is that a lot of us may not even realize we're doing this. People would recoil in horror at the idea of breaking into a neighbor's house and stealing the cash in his wallet. But they'll vote enthusiastically for policies that take a slice out of his paycheck. So, reigning in avarice requires constitutional checks that oblige us to respect others' rights. It also requires a cultural change whereby we reject the ancient notion that other people exist to serve us and recognize that they have their own prerogatives we may not know or approve of, but that are literally none of our business. Next, he talks about arrogance. That's the beast's third head. Any arrogance, or he says, arrogance rather comes with thinking the world is a simple place that would be easy to fix if only we had the political will rather to put the right people in power or make the right policies. So experts in international economic development tend toward arrogance. It's easy to see that the cures for all that plagues Southeast Asia, Africa, and Latin America from a comfortable office at an American or European university. In fact, he says, modern noblesse oblige demands that those of us who know better boss around the benighted fools who don't share our enlightened worldview. Maybe it's for their own good. Maybe it's because we're among what Thomas Sowell called the anointed, burdened with the glorious purpose like Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Doesn't everybody know we're going to change the world? Historically, it might have been because someone was chosen by the local deity, but nowadays it might be because we're experts in the science which is settled. Regardless, the world has not yet realized 
that we should be in charge, and they would gladly hand us our rightful scepters and crowns if they knew what was good for them. Oh, man, does he nail that. Can we slay this three-headed monster, Art Carden asks? Well, he says it's doubtful, but there is reason to be optimistic. The last three centuries of rhetorical, institutional, and cultural change have clapped it in irons to the benefit of a world that is rapidly making poverty history. Even with these handicaps, it still does a lot of damage, however. If we can bind the monster even faster by eschewing political relations and embracing commercial relations, one is voluntary, one is not, we can reduce its threat to our freedom and flourishing. It's a very elegant explanation. Again, it's from Art Carden from the American Institute for Economic Research. All right, article of the day. I'm going to land on some toes when I share this, but for all the media coverage and the subsequent analysis of last week's GOP debate, there was very little of substance offered to the American people. Jeffrey A. Tucker breaks down the great game of let's pretend. He says, two nights ago was supposed to be a night of reckoning and truth. The intrepid and independent journalist Tucker Carlson was to grill Donald Trump, who skipped the GOP debates because he's already the hands-down frontrunner and doesn't want anything to do with conventional politics. Now, Tucker had spent the last three years on Fox correctly denouncing lockdowns, censorship, vaccine mandates, and medical segregation, plus the attacks on American liberty. He certainly knows what's what. One might have supposed that the issues that tanked the Trump presidency and nearly the whole of American society and liberty would be front and center. Now was the time. But Jeffrey Tucker says oddly none of it came up in his interview with Trump. The interview answered none of our questions about why Trump did what he did, which not only wrecked the American economy, but arguably lost him the election. Now, even if you think the election was stolen, it was only through the mail-in ballots that the COVID controls unleashed. And Tucker drilled down into none of this. It was as if 2020 did not happen at all. And the simultaneous GOP debate was even worse. Ron DeSantis started with a bang and spoke about lockdowns, but the topic fizzled quickly. Following a flurry of pharma ads, indeed, the entire event was funded by FDA-approved drug sales. The moderators briefly asked former Vice President Mike Pence if he thought his administration bore any responsibility for learning loss because the Trump administration urged school closures. Now, Pence, who spent 2020 running cover for Anthony Fauci and, Fauci and Deborah Burks, wholly ignored the question and said something else. The topic was never visited again. There was not one word said about tech censorship, the millions displaced and harmed by vaccine mandates, the dictatorial reach of the administrative state, the vast flurry of litigation against everything and everybody, the mass loss of trust in government and media, the foundational attack on the Bill of Rights, or the very real threat that it could happen again. On the same day as the debate, we already saw mask mandates being reimposed, but no one spoke about it. Now, Jeffrey Tucker's point is, you surely see what's going on here. The biggest issues in American life, which everyone experienced with vast tragedy and death all around, and about which everyone knows, are suddenly too sensitive to bring up. It's something of which multitudes are aware, but because all official institutions were involved, all official institutions are quiet about it. As a result, the great reckoning we need for renewal is farther off than ever before. Meanwhile, we've got uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. out there on countless public interviews as a presidential candidate saying remarkable things like the CIA in 1963 killed his uncle, who was president. The intelligence community works with Big Pharma on gain-of-function research to create and cure new killer viruses. 
They germ-gamed the lockdowns since 2001. The lockdowns of March 2020 was a coup d'etat against representative democracy. And right now, we have industry-captured deep state agencies that are ruling America who have no regard whatsoever for the U.S. Constitution or the idea of freedom. And Kennedy says all of this without any shyness and with a great deal of knowledge and detail. He provides the receipts. Indeed, he's written several books on these themes. People listen and think, oh, that's very interesting, and go hear him speak, without any presumption that he stands any chance to be president, despite his wild popularity, because essentially, the fix is in. Biden has already been selected to get the nomination, which rather demonstrates RFK's point. Meanwhile, Jeffrey Tucker says, I've never once heard any reporter or read any article that challenges him on any of the facts, meaning Biden. It's as if everyone knows what he's saying is true, but we just can't really do anything about it. I'm sorry, he meant he meant RFK. So he's tolerated as a wayward eccentric from a noble lineage, but best ignored if we know what's good for us. So it's very strange. Uh, it's a strange time in American political history, no doubt, says Jeffrey Tucker. We have one line of thinking sweeping through the population based on mass incredulity and fury, and then another with uh, which is a veneer of normalcy slathered on top of our anger by all official institutions, which work hard to keep these topics out of respectable conversations. Meanwhile, the whole of academic, mainstream, social media, mainstream major media, and all of government seem to agree that all these obvious topics are just too incendiary to be raised in polite company. So everyone in the top layer of this manufactured consent is glad to play along with this great game of pretend. Meanwhile, people are fully aware now that the intelligence community is deeply involved in areas of life we previously thought were independent. We suspect this is true even of organizations and publications we once thought were more or less trustworthy. How else to explain their silence and or lies on the crucial issues of our time? pretty decent article wouldn't you say again this is jeffrey tucker writing for the brownstone institute i have a link to it in today's show notes this is the article of the day yeah there's a lot of pretending going on and it shows like this one and all the other shows that are out there trying to sound that truth and break through that fog so you don't have to pretend this is fine everything is great as the house is burning down around you This is The Brian Hyde Show.